As we are heading into 2nd and 3rd John, we are coming to the end. Does it feel like it took a long time to get here, or does it feel like we just started? Just started. Oh, well, good answer on that one. Okay. Thank you from the teachers <laughs> that it feels like we just started. Um, <clears throat> so what we're going to do today is we're going to talk about what is in both 2nd and 3rd John, and um, we're going to kind of put those two small books together to see um, some final truth from John as he's writing this. So would you pray with me before we start? Father, we ask for your blessing on this time together. Um, Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth will be the ones that you want spoken, that what we do here will honor you, and that we will be challenged by your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So in order to have a little group participation, I need for you to think right now as though we're just all one happy discussion group sitting together, and I'm going to ask you to answer a few questions. So <clears throat> what have we learned this year? What does it mean to abide? And just call it out loud enough so hopefully we can, we can hear it. What does it mean to abide? To be authentic. Mm -hmm. To remain. To remain. Mm -hmm. Stay close to. Stay close to. Dwell. Good. Dwell. Dwell. Okay. Anybody else? Committed. Committed. That's good. All right. So you learned what it means to abide with God. Now, tell me what is the truth that guides our lives? These are not trick questions, okay? <laughs> These are just fundamentals of what happened in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. What is the truth that guides our lives? Pardon? God's word. Mm-hmm. And what is the essence, I guess, of God's word? Jesus Christ and loving one another. Okay, good answers, girls. And how is it that we know how to love one another? Because God loved us first. I think I heard the same thing over here. Okay, that is so true. All right, so you passed that test. You did so well. So since the beginning of um, 1 John, we have used these words over and over and over again to talk about the themes that John wanted us to know. The idea of abiding, and then in 1 John we dealt with how our lives are like light, and then the importance of love and truth. And today we're going to hear more and more about love and and truth. I know that's not going to come as a shock to you. John is very, very concerned as he's writing these letters about that these churches that are outside of Ephesus, that the members of these churches are solidly understanding the foundation of God's word and the foundation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is his primary concern. And he tells us, as you have seen, over and over again, 
that when we know that truth and we abide in that truth, that what naturally flows out of our lives is love for him and love for one another. So today we're going to put second and third together. John isn't going to disappoint. We're going to see these same things again. But I want to give you some context around these two books that will help us to understand exactly what it is that he's saying and why he's saying it. Um, Second John is written to, as you noticed when you were studying, someone that he refers to as the elect lady. And quite frankly, commentators have two different opinions on this subject. Some of them think that the elect lady is actually an individual woman who John knows, and she has taught both her family to love the Lord and the truth about Jesus Christ, and she also is hosting the church in her home. Then there are others who believe that the elect lady refers to a church that meets in a particular place and that he refers to that as the elect lady and that group of believers. Third John is then written to a friend of John's named Gaius. And Gaius is someone that John obviously knows personally, and it's very, very possible that Gaius is a leader, one of the leaders in the church that is meeting in this lady's house. So there appears to be throughout these two letters some connection of a distinct group of believers. And um, it is also very possible that these three letters were all delivered at the same time to the churches that were outside of Ephesus, one starting with this one in particular that met in this woman's house, and you may have noticed that at the end of John 3, it talks about Demetrius. It is likely that Demetrius was the messenger who took the letters and that they were actually delivered as a set where one was written, Second John, to the church as a one last warning to them about false teachers and how to live in the truth, and Third John written to Gaius as one of the leaders in that body. So it's almost as though we could imagine that the letter went to Gaius, he gets the letter individually that's commending him for the way that he personally is leading and warning him about another leader in the church. Then Second John goes to this group of believers as a group, and John is saying, here's basically what I'm going to write to you about, and I long to come and see you. And then First John actually being the teaching, the sermon, the things that John is very convinced that he wanted this group of believers to know. Now, the truth is that we, we don't know any of that for absolutely certain, but those things that I just described to you are likely given the way the books are written and given what we see in the relationships and the way these three books flow. So actually, they're almost like in reverse order 
if you if you choose that idea. Okay, so the other thing that we are seeing in Second and Third John is we're no longer dealing so much in just principles and ideas. We are dealing in real life situations within this body of believers. And some of it is not very pretty because John continues to talk about these false teachers who are coming and who continue to add things on to the gospel. And every time they do that, every time they change the fundamental truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, what happens is anyone who tags along with those views, their faith is undermined by the teachings of these individuals. And the thing that is very, very different, oops, here's what I found. Thank you very much. Here's what I found. Um, The thing that was very, very different in the first century than what we experience today is a lot of the teaching that churches heard, and remember now, we're talking about small house churches, okay? We're talking maybe 10, 20, 25 people sitting in a home together, listening to a teacher. And a lot of that teaching was done by individuals who were like itinerant ministers. They traveled around. There wasn't always a, we are very, very accustomed today to a church having a pastor, or two or three pastors who are just set at that location, teach the body, take care of people, etc. This was not so much the case in the first century. The case in the first century was that these teachers would travel around, and they didn't have a hotel system like ours to depend on, and most of the places that were inns, in these little villages or even in a major city, they were not places where you would want to stay. They were kind of seedy and yucky things were happening there. And um, so people were asked, not just believers, but it was just part of the culture in general. If somebody was passing through town and needed a place to stay, it wasn't unusual for somebody to say, you can come and stay at my house. So the way this translated into the early church is that if one of these teachers arrives on the scene and they need a place to stay, very often the person who hosted the church invited that individual to come and stay in their home. They fed them. They kept them for as many days as they were there. And in essence, they were supporting the work of that individual. Now, the question and the problem with this, the thing that made this very risky, was that when this teacher arrived on the doorstep, if they didn't already know this person personally and knew what they believed, they didn't have any way to know if this was a true believer that was accurately carrying the message of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ, or if this is a person who's arriving on the scene who has more to say, who is, who is outside of the bounds of what um, was the truth to be taught to the church. And so there was risk involved here. And um, so what had to happen, and what I believe is implied in these two chapters, is 
we see kind of this contrast of in chapter 2, John is saying, watch out and do not let these people come and stay with you because you are supporting their work. But then in John 3, he praises Gaius for taking in those who are in fact true teachers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so you've got this, okay, well, so what do we do here? How do we know, do we take them in or don't we take them in? And I think what's implied here, although it isn't specifically written by John, is that it's the responsibility of the leaders in the church, and Gaius evidently was doing this, to ask some questions and to make certain that that teacher who's knocking on the door is actually telling the truth about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if they're not, if part of what they want to teach goes beyond that or takes away from it, then what John is saying is you have to send those people on their way. Don't support their work. But on the other hand, if they are true teachers of the gospel of Jesus Christ, then it is good and appropriate for you to show the way that you love each other as fellow believers by taking them in, feeding them, housing them, and listening to them while they're there to teach you. So with all of that in mind, 2nd and 3rd John essentially have... Um, am I, hold on one second. Huh. Okay. Excuse me, we're going to go forward and then we're going to go back. All right, so this is the big idea that I want you to remember today. Write this down. Those of you who are note takers, write this down. True love, in other words, true love for Jesus Christ, true love for the Word of God requires love for the truth. We cannot separate the two things. We have to be passionate about the word of God in order for our love for Christ to truly develop fully and in order for our love for other believers to truly develop fully. Now, we've talked a lot about truth and love. John is totally in on truth and love. And there's a reason why he is totally in on truth and love. And the reason for this is that um, they are, without a doubt, the two foundational things that really determine everything about our relationship with Jesus Christ. And here's what I mean by that. We talk we have talked this year about all kinds of things. We talked about what it meant to walk in the light. We talked about how we can be convicted of our sin and become self-examiners so that we confess and repent and move beyond it. We have talked about what it means to walk in the Holy Spirit and for him to be indwelling us and guiding our lives. We've talked about what it means to grow to be more and more like Jesus. We've talked about what it means to develop in the gifts of the Spirit. And every one of those topics that we have talked about, the reality is 
that they all come out of this relationship right here. They all come out of our love for God, first and foremost, and then our passion for his truth. And when we are passionate about his truth, and when we are in love with the Lord Jesus Christ, all those other things are the outcome of that foundation. So that's why John keeps saying this over and over again. Because basically what he's saying is, if you're listening to the truth and abiding in the Lord, then all these things are going to flow. The Spirit is going to dwell in you. You're going to be convicted of your sin. You're going to grow to be more like Jesus Christ. And you're going to learn to love the same way that he loves. And so if we're loving as he loves then we're treating others with grace and kindness. We're reaching out to help and encourage others who need that in their lives. And you've heard us from time to time. I think every one of us at some point has mentioned, I think this was a concept that Kristen gave us to begin with, but about the arc of our lives and what direction it points. And so go back to that concept in your mind for just a minute and think of that arc in life. And if over here is unbelief or subscribing to false teaching and over here is passion for the truth and obedience to Jesus, then what we've learned is that the more that we are bent this direction in that arc of our lives, the more that we are living out this right here. The more that this is evident in everything that we do and say. It's exactly what John is talking about in verses 5 and 6 of 2 John when he says, <clears throat> I'm writing to remind you, dear friends, that we should love one another. This is not a new commandment, but one we have had from the beginning. Love means doing what God has commanded us, and he has commanded us to love one another just as you heard from the beginning. Now, I want to show you two circles. We have to go back, I think. Well, we might be going nowhere. I want the circle that says abide, love, truth. <laughs> I know. There we go. Thank you. Michaela, could you just stay there for a minute? <laughs> help, help me out in case the next one doesn't go. All right. So this is the circle of the big idea. Okay? It's as simple as this. When, when we know the truth... When we love Jesus and in turn love like him, we are abiding in God. And this we could overlay with, okay, now it's working. Thank you. This we could overlay with that circle that we have looked at two or three times over the course of this year. Because when we are abiding, when that truth and that love is in our lives, we have the fellowship with God and other believers like John taught us in the first few chapters of 1 John. We are in a position where we are concerned about our sin. We are examining, we are confessing, we are repenting, and we are receiving 
that forgiveness and constant cleansing, which is a huge part of abiding in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let me, I want to just quickly go through the specific life examples that John gives us in these two short books. And the first one is the, um, the example of the false teachers. And what he says in verses 7 to 10 is essentially that these deceivers are coming, they're denying that Jesus was here in a, in a physical body as a teacher. And he says, these people are like the Antichrist. Watch out that you do not lose what you learned from the beginning. So John is essentially saying to them, you were taught from the beginning the foundation of what it means to know Jesus Christ. Don't lose that. Don't wander away from that. And he says, if anyone comes to your meeting and does not teach the truth, don't invite that person in, which we've already talked about. So 10 to 12 times in these two short books, John keeps saying over and over again, truth, 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 truth. And the more that we are around others who believe in the truth, the reason that he is trying to protect this body, oops, sorry, yeah. we're having technical difficulties today. Okay, the, more, the reason that he is trying to protect the integrity of these groups of believers is that when we are in communion and relationship with other people who believe as we do, who know the word of God, who subscribe to the truth, then we are less inclined to be led astray by anyone who tries to tell us something different. There is a protection in this room right here. There is a protection in the fact that you come every week and you have studied the scripture on your own, but then you are also sitting around a table and talking to others about what that means. And we are arriving at conclusions together about the truth of God's word. So it's basically this idea that we are always called the same way we were talking about Gaius a few minutes ago. We need to always be testing the truth of what we hear. And that doesn't matter who we're hearing it from, whether it's Chris Payne on Sunday morning, Lisa Giller, Kristen, or me on Tuesday morning, no matter who it is, we need to always be thinking, is this consistent with what I know the word of God says? Now, there's a couple tricky things for us about this in our current culture. We don't really have preachers, teachers, etc., who are knocking on the door of the church building and saying, can somebody let me stay in their home for a week? I want to come and teach you something. That doesn't happen in 2023. What does happen is that we receive pressure in other ways. We receive pressure from those around us who say, well, if you're really a Christian, then the fact that you love so openly and genuinely should mean that um, you're tolerant of a lot of things that you're willing to overlook some things in order to love people. 
And most unbelievers would say that Christian love means that I will just extend love to you no matter what, that we can just kind of wink at sin, and that as long as what the person is doing is truly sincere, it's okay. Now, there's a dilemma there for us as people try to promote that idea throughout our culture. Because that idea promotes the idea that no matter what you believe, it's okay, as long as you're really sincere about it. But the truth is that Elijah and Paul and Jesus himself would have had a very hard time living in 2023. Elijah called out the prophets of Baal for what they were teaching, and 400 of them were consumed by fire. Paul called out the people that were following him around trying to discount what he was saying and teach some other things. And on occasion, Paul stood up in a gathering of believers and called out another believer if he felt that they were leading people down the wrong path. And then we have Jesus, who came against Herod and the Pharisees and called them hypocrites and a brood of vipers and that their lives were no better than whitewashed tombs. This is not um, a culture of tolerance of sin and evil that these three men were promoting. So we also have moments when we have to be careful of what's being promoted around us and what we're hearing. And most often, the most loving thing that we can do is to find a way to express the truth in love. That's why John told us that a few chapters ago. Think about it this way for a minute. If you're sick and you go to the doctor or your car is broken down and you go to an auto mechanic, do you want them to tell you the truth? Or do you want that doctor to withhold treatment because it might hurt your feelings? Do you want that mechanic to um, think that, well, you might not really want to pay the bill, so he'll just fix a little minor problem and tell you that everything is okay? You see, none of us would think that was a good idea. So that then becomes apparent in some of these other examples that John gives us. First, we have the elect lady who is probably this church And he says to them, love each other in the truth because the truth lives in us and will be with us forever. They are partners. They are an example to us of what it means to create this protection in relationship between believers that I'm talking about. Then we have Gaius, who John praises because he says he's a dear friend who I love in the truth. And he describes Gaius as strong in spirit. And he says, your faith has even been described to me. There is evidence in Gaius' life that he is abiding in the Lord. He is an example to us. And he is an example because somehow Gaius has determined who the false teachers are and who the true teachers are. So he has been willing to step into probably some hard questions, but to be a leader and to influence in that way. Then we have Diotrephes, 
Diotrephes is a hard guy. Diotrephes is having difficulty in his leadership role. He is so enamored with being the leader that he refuses to respect John's authority as an apostle and an eyewitness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he doesn't, he not only doesn't want to have anything to do with John, he doesn't want to embrace the true teachers who come to minister to this this church either. So in his own mistaken way, he is attacking the truth, and he is attacking those who are trying to take care of the teachers that are telling the truth. He's struggling to walk in truth and love. He is not living our principle for today of true love requires love for the truth. Now, very often, we can come up against people like Diotrephes. My guess is he was completely sincere in the way he was leading. He was convinced that he was doing the right thing, but he was sincere about all the wrong things. He was not a servant. He was not humble. He was trying to simply be in charge. So let's go back to the doctor for just a moment. If you go to the doctor and you're ill and he gives you medical advice and he is completely sincere about it, he leans forward, he looks right into your eyes, his voice is full of compassion, but he tells you exactly the wrong thing to do, you are no better off than you were before. Or if you go to that auto mechanic and he sincerely repairs the wrong parts on your car that have broken down, he still leaves you on the side of the road. So this whole idea of sincerity and commitment only lasts as far as it is truth. And if it is not consistent with the truth of the word of God, then sincere or no, it is not what should guide our lives. And then finally, we have Demetrius, and he just gets a little mention at the end of 3 John. But John does say about him that others have told John about his faith and that the truth itself speaks highly of him. I love that phrase. The truth itself speaks highly of him. So we're going to wrap it up here. As we finish today, where are we? Well, here's where we are. We're back to our principle. True love requires love for the truth. The truth of God's word is the foundation of our faith. It gives us everything we need to know about Jesus and how we can abide in him. And it is that truth that leads us to solid affection for each other as believers. And it becomes part of our protection against deception. If we love Christ with all of our hearts, and if we are taught week by week, month by month, by the scripture and by faithful teachers, then what we become is we become a body of believers who love that truth, and who love each other. And the end result is that we will never be easily deceived. Let's pray before you go to your groups. 
Father, thank you for John. Thank you for the fact that you loved him so and that in his commitment to you, he sat down and wrote your inspired words. We praise you, Lord, for everything that we have learned this year. And we ask that we will not soon forget it, Lord. We pray that your Holy Spirit will continue to remind us of the words that John spoke in these three letters. Lord, bless our conversations today. Um, Give us the um, willingness to participate and to share with others so that we all benefit from what each of us has learned. And Lord, we look forward to celebrating next week and to giving you all the praise and the glory for what you've done this year. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.